1: welcome to the kyle coster show i got ryan phillips here uh we're taking a quick break ryan i think from me asking you to give me the winners and losers from this last nfl draft looking forward to 2022 and then i mean this is going to be news to you live on the air but i'm going to ask you to do a mock draft for 2026 and i'm going to want that by the end of the day so uh we can't go too long but thanks for joining me today
2: i always glad to hop on the Kyle costume it's actually my first appearance but uh we've podcasted before a lot as some people may know but it's I, i i do enjoy your solo podcast and uh it, maybe I'll have a spinoff and I'll do my own off of this, but and have you visit me on that one and, and we'll just all do each other's podcast. It'll be great.
1: So one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the main reason is we're going to dive into whatever the hell is going on with the Lakers, because that's the biggest story in sports right now. And we have a team that entered the season As title favorites, there was less time to get ready, but the team has LeBron James. It had Anthony Davis. We saw them flip the switch during the playoffs last year in the bubble to become the best defensive unit. Like that's why they won the championship. It was Anthony Davis- transcending his game to the next level and them becoming a juggernaut on the defensive end while also having LeBron James always making the right decision, figuring out how to play with a big like that for the first time in his career. That was the difference this year. We knew it would be a challenge, but we did not expect it to be this big of a challenge. They are right now tied for the sixth spot in the Western conference. And that's important because They need to finish in the top six to avoid the play in tournament. Now we had LeBron James last night expressing frustration after a bad loss to the Toronto Raptors, suggesting that whoever came up with the concept of the play in tournament should be fired now in the past he was kind of for it, but then he was against it and I think that it's very human to in the abstract like an idea but when you see how it impacts you maybe you change your perspective. I don't <laughs> Oh there are consequences to this? Is that what you're saying? There are consequences? <laughs> precisely. Like I don't think that that's hypocritical. I think that's just kind of like whatever You
2: view it from a different perspective when it's affecting you, I think.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, basically what I want to talk to you about is are you concerned about the Lakers? I know that you we, you just wrote a piece for the site that said let's not bury these guys yet. What's your reasoning in believing that all is not lost for this team?
2: Well, first of all, something you touched on, I I think that this season was always going to be a struggle for the Lakers because they only got six weeks off as opposed to three months. I mean, the teams that lasted the longest got punished the most. The, The teams that, you know, the Miami has struggled this year as well. They didn't get much time off. LeBron and Anthony Davis, two guys who carry such a heavy load. And by the way, the last season lasted a year. And in the COVID break, people were like, well, they had like a couple months off in the COVID break. They were working out every day and, and play because they didn't know if or when the season was going to start. They knew that as soon as it ramped up, they had to go. And so guys were keeping in shape for that year. You can go read articles and interviews with them. They're, they're like, we're playing every day, you know, to be ready to go because they were pretty sure that season was going to come back. And, and so they played for a year and got six weeks off. Even the teams that got eliminated in the conference finals got two months off. You know, I mean, they, there was more time. And so when you got two guys like LeBron James and Anthony Davis that played so much and carried such a heavy load, it's not shocking that they both got injured after short off season. I mean, Anthony Davis had a soft tissue injury with his Achilles. That's not shocking. But the reason why the Lakers are struggling, I mean, it's Anthony Davis has played 29 games this year. LeBron James played 43 games. And in that long stretch of a month where they didn't have either one of them, the rest of these guys had to try and figure out a way to play together without them and a team that those pieces are all built around Anthony Davis and LeBron James and the the conceit of having them. And so once those guys are gone, they, they played a completely different way, and they weren't successful at all because they simply just didn't have the talent. But they played a certain way. Now that those guys are back, they've got to relearn to play together. Now, will they figure it out? There's not much time left. Will they figure it out? Maybe not. But the issue isn't going to be talent for them. And I feel like talent always kind of figures a way out. They may not win a title, but I don't think they're not the the dead-in-the-water team they've looked like the last two games with LeBron James back. I I just think that Davis and James have to get used to being on the court with these guys. And it's going to be a short turnaround. They may wind up in the play-in tournament, but they're good enough talent-wise. They should get out of the play-in tournament, and maybe by going through that, they'll kind of gel and and figure this out. I just think they're too talented to be bounced in the first round.
1: It's always interesting to try to figure out what the main concern is. What's the driver? What is the cause that's having an effect? And I think that the cause here is that they lost the first two games with James back, right? That's a very small sample size. And you touched on this in your post that it was always going to be a challenge. Did we expect LeBron to come in after this long layoff, the longest of his career, by the way, this is a guy who is never injured. He's never really been in this situation of coming back and and trying to mid-season jump into the fray. So yes, there was going to be a learning curve. Another great point that you made, he's playing with new cast of characters. They brought people in while he was injured. It's going to take some time to figure out how to gel With that unit, you're putting a totally different type of gasoline in this vehicle. I think that making these huge generalizations based on those two games is a little bit silly. Now, part and parcel of it is that they are tied uh, in the last position that's going to avoid the play in tournament. So what it comes down to, to me, is essentially the Lakers season hinges on these next eight games. If they can figure out a way to avoid that 7-10 through March Madness-style thing that Mm -hmm. I don't think is a great idea anyway. That's for a different podcast. They will be in kind of the spot they need to be, even if it was a hard time getting there and there were some bumps along the way. They have their full complement of players for the playoffs. If they end up in the play-in tournament, we're going to know that it was an issue of them gelling. They have an extremely hard schedule down the stretch. so going four and four or five and three may be a difficulty and who knows what those other teams are going to do down, down the stretch as well. But if they end up in the play play in tournament, to me, that'll be more of a reflection that the team is not gelling. They're not ready for the playoffs. Then this team is just broken. So I kind of feel like this problem is going to solve itself and we're going to know which way the wind is blowing based on whether they're even in that situation to begin with.
2: Well, and here's the thing, if they finish in the sixth spot, let's say they get the sixth spot in the first round, they face the Denver Nuggets who are on fire, but don't have Jamal Murray, who's their playoff closer. That series may actually be the best one for the Lakers, it five and four, they're tied for the fifth spot right now as well. And if they make the fifth spot, they face the Clippers which is the series we all wanted last year in the Western Conference Finals. We get it in the first round. So, we're going to win as basketball fans no matter what happens with the Lakers because seeing LeBron James and Anthony Davis fight it out in the play-in tournament might be fascinating to watch because again, they're still the Western Conference favorites by the betting odds and they're still the second favorite to win the title by the betting odds. So, it's going to be fascinating to watch this play out. At the same time, you're right. If if they don't make the if they make if they wind up in that play-in tournament, It's not an issue, as I said, of talent. It's an issue of these guys just haven't played together. They're not gelling together. It's not going to work out. But here's the thing. Even if this turns out to be it was just a wacky season, the short layoff really hurt them, whatever. They're going to enter next season with LeBron James and Anthony Davis and probably still be the favorite in the Western Conference, along with the Clippers, maybe the Nuggets, uh, you know, and, and a couple other teams but they're still going to be, you know, nobody's going to look at them next year and be like, well, they couldn't get it done. Well, they couldn't get it done because Anthony Davis played 30 games, you know? I mean, so I I do think that there's, there's a way that the Lakers could, you know, in their minds, salvage this season and be like, well, if we just, if we bow out, this is just, they made us play after six weeks, you know, they made us do this again and guys got injured and that was going to happen anyway. So Um, I do think that there's sort of a a mindset the Lakers can take either way where they're not big losers this season. They'll feel like it, you know, not defending the championship always feels that way. Uh, But they had such a remarkable championship run last year with all the emotion about the Kobe Bryant and and all of that stuff sort of spiritually guiding them. And then, you know, come into this season and flop. It's going to hurt. But at the same time, they're not set up for a one-year run. They're set up to extend this run for a few
1: years. And there's nothing new about having a championship or defending a championship derailed by injury. Usually it just happens in the postseason, but it can happen in the regular season, right? And you're playing a shorter year. You're playing 72 games instead of 82. So every single regular season game is more important. So I think it's kind of a fluky thing that's happened, but it's not dissimilar. I mean, look, you can make the argument that the last non-Lakers team team, to win an NBA title benefited because of injuries from the warriors, right? Like the warriors yeah. were the better team. They should have won that series if their team had stayed intact and stayed healthy. And that's kind of like, that's been basketball forever. Now, yep. is it a little, part of the game, right? Is it a little bit different? Is it a little bit sexier because it's LeBron James failing? Yes, obviously like that's, that's a huge element of it. The other part of this too. And I'm really curious to get your perspective on this because I, I think that I have never been more confident that the regular season doesn't matter as long as you get in the playoffs in the NBA. And if you want any evidence for that, simply watch whatever's going on in the NBA every single night. These teams have never been more focused on getting to the playoffs, getting their best team on the court on the playoffs. They are giving away games. They're giving away 15 to 20 percent of the games on a year in order for load management they don't care the only thing that matters is assembling the best playoff team and getting that team into the playoffs so i'm wondering if we're analyzing all this stuff and again it's a added difficulty if you have to play an extra round that other teams don't have to play don't get me wrong right. but are we over analyzing oh the lakers are the sixth seed they could never win the They're they not going to come out of the Western Conference. They're not going to win the NBA title because they're a six seed. To me, that's outrageous because in the East, you have, which I believe everybody is going to agree that the Nets are the most skilled team in the East, right? Most
2: dangerous team for sure.
1: Yes, absolutely. And what have they done all season? Part of it has been due to injury, but part of it has been just indifference like we'll figure it out when we get there so I kind of think like in the super team era and in the load management era that's just what basketball has become and we're going to look back on this season and be like oh okay well this is the this is the year where we really turned the corner and it was about coasting until we could get into the postseason how does that ring to you
2: well it's been heading that way for a long time I think I think as soon as you saw Kawhi Leonard sitting out huge chunks of games uh, in Toronto and then winning a title, teams were going to follow that model. You know, look at the top two teams in the NBA right now record-wise, it's the Phoenix Suns and the Utah Jazz. Precisely no one thinks they're going to win the NBA championship. Maybe some people in Phoenix and Utah, but nobody thinks they're going to win the NBA championship. The third-best record is a tie between the 76ers and the Nuggets. Nobody really thinks the Nuggets are going to win an NBA title either. It's And and quite frankly, if you look at all those listed teams, the teams that I just listed, the Nuggets probably have the best chance, given that they've played the best. But in a playoff situation where you're playing, again, LeBron James and Anthony Davis, how do you match up against them? It's a lot about matchups in in the postseason. It's a lot about who's playing their best at the right time. And I think w- it's interesting to see that the Lakers last year got to the playoffs and the in the bubble in the first like week of the bubble they did not play well. They got into the first round of playoffs, didn't play well their first game, and then all of a sudden we're kind of like, oh right, we're playing in the playoffs and figured it out and basically blitzed through the postseason. They lost a couple games here and there, but they were dominant through the postseason. It really is about the posting. That's all that matters is the playoffs. All that matters is winning the championship. I think that things like the NHL, where you have to go on the road to another person's arena, I think that the crowds are more intense, things like that. That seating really matters. In the NBA, I, you know, I think it's hard if you're an eight seed and have to face a one. But other than that, in, in these days, if you're a six seed or above, I think you absolutely have a shot at the NBA title if you've got the right players. I don't think that home court advantage matters as much as it used to. Uh, especially in this era where we're probably not going to have packed arenas. I mean, it's, it doesn't matter. And, and, and I think that these teams, I mean, a good team can play on the road and do very well. I mean, you look at the Lakers this year, they're 19, 13 on the road and 17 and 15 at home. It doesn't matter. And, and so uh, I agree with you. I think that really making the playoffs and having your best team available for the playoffs is all that matters to these teams and, you know, you'd love to be a one or a two seed, of course, because you get home court advantage, but that home court advantage is so diminished that it doesn't matter.
1: Great point. Because I was going to ask, are we expecting all these Utah GS fans? Are we expecting Mitt Romney to come down and put a uniform on and, and go for 22 <laughs> and eight? Because I don't understand if you put it out there on the table and say, you can either have home court advantage with this core and obviously no offense to the Suns, and no offense to the jazz because they played tremendous basketball. Each I think is so interesting. And there's so much fun to watch offensively, right? Like they're playing beautiful, gorgeous basketball. That's fun to watch. And I don't want to diminish this achievement because the point of sports is to go out and win games and you can't take anything away from them. But if you tell me my options are to have LeBron James and Anthony Davis and this other supplementary core that the Lakers have improved on from last year, or I can have four home games instead of three. I'm sorry. I'm going to go ahead and take the Lakers in that situation. And we're also talking about who is, who is the guy? I mean, it's LeBron James. Like, I think that of all the players, he's probably used to going into hostile territory. Um, He's going to be more comfortable in the postseason, even if it's on the road, than anybody on those other two rosters. And another thing that I think is overblown too if you even if you wanted to sit here and say, home court is so impressive, it, it's, it, you gotta get it. You gotta get it in that first round. You gotta get it overall. It's like this security blanket. I think it's this kind of like, that's actually the correct term for it. It's a security blanket Yeah. into the terms of it's almost like a panacea. You can't be like, ignore the problems that your team has just because you're playing at home. The Lakers also are not completely lost. Yes, they're one game out of the play-in tournament, but they are also tied with the Mavericks. They don't have the tiebreaker for the fifth seed. You win the fifth seed, odds are you're going to be playing the Clippers.
2: And not leaving Los Angeles and for the series. You're not leaving your home
1: arena for yes, the series. Essentially a home series. So one of the big fears that everybody has about this team I guess because they won't be one of the top four seeds is, is the home court advantage thing. I think that this the whole thing is being overblown where I'm to the point where it's a, maybe it's a bunch of small things that are adding up and to play devil's advocate. I'm not so sure what things would look like. Like if the wheels aren't falling off, what would it look like if the wheels do fall off? Because it does kind of seem like we're in the beginning stages of, of a post-mortem. Like this is kind of what went wrong, but you use the exact right terminology in that. I don't think we should be getting out this, the shovels and start digging a grave for these guys before we see what happens in the next eight games.
2: Yeah. And, and look, they may need eight games to get on the same page. They may need two games. They may need three. I mean, they may need a re- one really hard practice. We don't know. James and and Davis, what I'll say about them is last year when they got paired together for the first time, they fit together immediately. There was not a transition with the Nets. You've sort of seen a slow transition of those guys all figuring out how to share the ball and and Durant and and Kyrie and and Harden sort of figuring out, okay, well, who goes when? Who brings the ball up? Who does this? Who does that? And you've seen it kind of develop over the season. And it's basically been Harden taking over and the other guys kind of deferring to him a little bit when they've all been on the floor together. But. LeBron and AD's games mesh so well together, they're fine. I'm not worried about them playing together it's okay. Dennis Schroeder, how are, are, is your pick and roll game with Anthony Davis? Is this going to work? Are you able to play off the ball when LeBron wants to, wants to command it? You know, how does Kyle Kuzma work now coming off the bench after starting 29 games this year? Uh, Ben McLemore has been a pretty effective shooter for them. Now LeBron's never played with him. As we mentioned, never played with Andre Drummond until the last two games. Like how do they fit together? And then when you bring back, you know, Alex Caruso is kind of a pest for opposing teams. Now he's been injured some this year. How, do you fit him and back in you know one of the big offseason signings uh, was it wesley matthews he hasn't been playing at all like okay well in the playoffs he's a really good defender do you bring him back and have him spotting up for threes i mean it's all about and look frank vogel is going to earn his money over the next eight games trying to figure this all out and trying to craft what he does and, and that's to create a shutdown defense but defense comes a lot from chemistry and so these guys don't have that chemistry and you got to know where guys are and know how to rotate, and know when to rotate and all that. And, and so again, they got eight games to figure it out. You're right. And maybe they do end it, end up in that tournament. And if they win it, maybe they come out stronger as a result uh, because they just get a chance to go through a war together and, and find their way. And, and that's going to be the key again. This could flop. As you've mentioned, it could completely flop and they could be out and we could be doing the I could be writing the postmortem in in three weeks on this about, you know, what happened? Was it the injuries? Was it a bad mix of players? Whatever. Uh, But I just I feel like with LeBron James, he always figures it out. And I feel like Anthony Davis is right there along with him.
1: It's almost like the star players of the Lakers to me are being blamed for the Lakers struggles without the star players. Like, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me why this is an indictment of LeBron, why this is an indictment of Anthony Davis, when, I mean, their injuries. Like, if anything, it shows their value to the team. So I'm just a little bit confused what I'm supposed to take away from this team when that's not going to be the team going forward. Like, if you had said at the beginning of the season, here's how many games AD is going to miss, here's how many games LeBron James is going to miss, I'm not so sure that they wouldn't have been happy with a 36 and 28 record, right? Like it's all about the narrative, right? Because these were mid-season injuries that cropped up and said, okay, well, maybe this isn't a foregone conclusion. It's changed everybody's perspective. But if you had gone into the season and be like, look, we're going to be without these guys for like half the season. Like they're going to play together precious few games, but don't worry, they'll be there for the playoffs. I think they would have signed up for that.
2: Well, and, and think about it this way. If they had both gotten injured off the jump to start the season and they went in a huge hole and then they were 30, whatever they are now, I think it's 36 and 28. If they were that, but they'd been winning and back together and they had the chemistry, nobody would be worried about them in the sixth seed. It's how this happened. It happened later in the year. They haven't had the time to gel. And so again, it's all about the perspective. This is happening because of the timing was terrible and now they have precious, as you said, precious little time to sort of figure this out before the postseason. And I don't think the record is the issue. The record is the trend or the issue is the trend. And so, yeah, they've got to figure this out fast, man. And how weird would it be having, you know, you're in the middle of the playoffs and LeBron James is at home. That just doesn't happen. And so this, that's why this year is so different. I think that's why it's so intriguing. And that's why I think it's interesting to people that for, for all year, the foregone conclusion was Lakers coming out of the West and it's going to be Lakers, maybe nets, bucks, Sixers, but it's going to be the Lakers because they're just the best team of that group. I think the reason people are jumping on this is they're excited that there may be a new team in
1: the mix for the NBA finals. And now let's pause to make some money. All right. The NFL draft is in the books. And for you, it's the culmination of a lot of mock drafting Uh, then to see what the actual drafters do must be a real thrill. I don't know if you keep track of your stats. I don't know how you process draft night. I don't know if it's a happy night. I don't know if it's a a sad night uh, or a mix of both, but I think that obviously the biggest storyline was usurped by Aaron Rodgers or whoever could have done this hot dog guy from, uh, I think you should leave leaking information that he was happy unhappy in green Bay. But outside of that, the second biggest story to me was Justin Fields because throughout this entire prospect, I didn't get it. We are both big 10 fans and watching this guy on Saturdays, I've never been more convinced of a big 10 quarterback being a superstar NFL ready, needs to be the face of the franchise move heaven and earth to get this guy I've been pushing for the Lions to get him for a long time even though it wasn't in their plans because they planned to lose uh, a few years with Jared Goff but the story of Fields falling from second best quarterback in college football which he was undeniably to question mark as an NFL quarterback and possibly being the fourth one off the board how did you process all this and is it because my theory is that we are so starved for content there's so many there are so many people and so many outlets depending on a constant churn and a singular most interesting storyline that one will emerge And we'll get hammered and we'll get furthered and we'll be cyclical between the decision makers and the media, regardless of whether there was any truth to it. So how did you process the entire saga around Fields? Well, here's
2: two things I want to say about this. One, you know who you didn't hear about at all in the pre-draft process? Just at all. Trevor Lawrence. Clearly a generational quarterback talent. He's been, he was going to be the number one pick. The moment he stepped on campus at Clemson, people knew he was going to be the number one pick in this draft. Even high school people were saying that. Why was nobody talking about him? Because we talked him to death. Like over over the the, the, the three years he was in college, we talked him to death. There was no angle to go on there. Everybody knew he was great. You couldn't pick him apart. There was something about him maybe not being that passionate about football or something. That was a story for a day and people crushed it. So they had to find something to talk about. There was no drama at number one. Justin Fields, and I've known about Justin Fields since he was in high school, because I follow recruiting. And Justin Fields was, in his high school class, the number two player in the nation. Trevor Lawrence was number one. He was the number two player in Georgia. Trevor Lawrence was number one. He was the number one dual threat quarterback. Trevor Lawrence was the number one. So he's always been right there with Trevor Lawrence. And there were people who said after their, after his first year at Ohio state, and I wrote about this is like, Hey, Justin Fields is going to challenge Trevor Lawrence for number one. I think Trevor Lawrence will go number one, but they're going to be people who like them both and have to make a decision. And you watch him at Ohio state. and, And I think a lot of people judged him harshly because he didn't do that well against a couple of good defenses. And the two, they point out were Indiana had a really good defense last year and really hammered him in the second half of that game and played really well. And Alabama, well, nobody did well against Alabama last year. I mean, there were, there were certain games that people got some success, but I think that they hammered him on that over, you know, too much. Because, look, there were games Trevor Lawrence wasn't perfect either, but Trevor Lawrence, we'd already beat that to death, so we can't go on that. Um, I agree with you on fields. He's six foot three, he's 220 pounds. He has the size, the arm strength. He can make all the throws. I think there's maybe a little polish with his delivery. They need to work on, but 90% of quarterbacks who come to the NFL have a little polish they need to work on. And then he went to his pro day, which is the only way you can stack these guys this year. Cause there's no combine. Uh, it, you know, it was just, they're matching up their pro days and he had by far the best pro day. It wasn't even close. He was so impressive. I think Trey Lance made some throws at his pro day where you're like, Oh, that guy can do some things, but Justin Fields was the best. And then he ran a 4440. And then, of course, you get a story leaked out that he's dealing with epilepsy, that it's never affected him in a football game. He's taking medication. His whole members of his family have had it and grown out of it in their 20s. The doctors all expect him to grow out of it. You know, there's always a story that came up about him. And you're right. I feel like it's the kind of thing where when guys are riding high, we have to chip away at it. And I think that that happens. That's the reason NBA draft prospects leave after their freshman year, because if they're impressive at all, they know if they hang around, people are going to start picking apart their games. Because if you watch every game of a college player in any sport, you're going to find things that you don't like. Why? Because they're college kids. They're not devoted a hundred percent to, you know, working out and all that. They got to go to class. They're limited in their practice time. They're limited in their workout time, all of that stuff. And so, yeah, they're not perfect. And if you're not perfect, you're ripe to get picked apart. And that's what happened with Justin Fields. He's not perfect, but he's really damn good. And if you have watched him, you know, and if you watch full games, not individual highlights, individual plays, you watch full games, that guy is in command of the game at almost all times. What he did in that national semifinal game, getting hurt bringing himself back out onto the field and tearing his opponent up. That is what you do to be an NFL quarterback. And he's going to be a great NFL quarterback. And and I made one of my winners of the draft with Chicago bears fans, because for the first time in a generation, they have a quarterback to be excited about, and they should be thrilled at getting Justin Fields where they got him.
1: It was just crazy to me. Kyle Brandt on good morning football. Had a good take a few days before the draft where he was like, I don't get it. Like, I just don't understand what's happening. He's like, I watched the tape. You hear about how great of a teammate it is. You hear how impressive he is. And He's it- a leader. He's it- smart.
2: Right. Has everything.
1: It's like, where is the downside on this guy? You want to know who I didn't hear a single bad thing about, but I didn't really understand the appeal. The guy. Zach went Wilson. To, Zach Wilson. <laughs> and guess where he went? He went to New York and they he got drafted and you want to know what I am not faulting the kid for looking like he's 16 years old that's not anything he can control but he had the look of a deer in the headlights after he was drafted and that it'll be I did not hear a single thing pre-draft about why this might be an issue like I and then I know that it's body language experts like get a life It's not the most important thing, but I just thought it was so interesting that he was able to skate. Well, like fields fall and people talking themselves out of fields just didn't make any sense. And I wonder if the I really feel like there's an incentive structure in there for media and for front office personnel to swerve and to do the unexpected. And they, I think so. And they either want to tell you how smart they are or they want to take a swing that show they overthink or they overthink and they overanalyze because it's become this jamboree. It was said earlier this week and I bristled at it before I thought about it for 15 or 20 seconds that the NFL draft is bigger than the Super Bowl. And I'm like, there's no way that's true. Thought about it. I was like, yes, of course, that's true. Like because you get
2: two months of unfettered rumors. I right. mean, it makes think the about
1: Super it. Bowl pregame and like lead up to the Super Bowl look like child's play. And well, you have it, every single fan base involved. Like yep, it's not that's why. close. So it's this huge breeding ground of ideas and, and takes. So the incentive structure to say something that's like more interesting than the other person, I really wonder like – if the, if the dog is wagging its tail or the the tail is wagging the dog at a certain case. And in like, because these things are so interconnected, right? Like you hear these secondhand vague reports on all the NFL talk shows that are coming from front office personnel and who knows why they're putting it out there. And then that becomes both public consensus. And then other teams are like, well, I didn't have a problem with this guy, but you know, hearing all these concerns, maybe there's something that I'm missing. So I really wonder, you know, I kind of thought about what I would compare it to is like a group project, when you're in school or you're in college, and everybody kind of has a role Um, But group projects can oftentimes be a lot harder than doing something by yourself because you have to get everybody's input. You have to come to a consensus. You're relying on all these things and it just becomes much more complicated. And oftentimes the product is a lot different than what it should have been because you had to value everybody's ideas. And then other people got talked into doing things or were in roles that didn't really fit. And it just seems like it seems like a good idea that more minds working on something would, would lead to a better uh, conclusion, but it really seems like that's not the case here. And the great benefactors were the Chicago bears who did not overthink him. Like this is our guy. Trade it up. Got it done. And, and what I'll
2: say is what's interesting is, so Zach Wilson, the guy he gets compared to the most and who I compared him to is a college version of Aaron Rodgers. It, you know, he moves around, has weird angles. will throw the ball in places you don't think he can throw it. Who won the MVP this year? Aaron Rodgers. Who was the number two pick? Zach Wilson. I mean, there's no argument about uh, Trevor Lawrence. He was so far above everybody else. But Wilson, they see what's successful, and then they take that guy. And it's a year-to-year thing. If somebody else had won the MVP this year, maybe Wilson gets picked apart in the pre-draft problem. He, he didn't play Power 5 teams last year. He didn't play top competition. What's the knock against field? When he played top competition, he struggled. Or play, played top defenses, he struggled. So it, it's, it's weird that that criticism affected one guy and not the other. And I think that part of it is that a team talked themselves into, well, Aaron Rodgers just dominated and won the MVP. This is the guy who looks the most like Aaron Rodgers. We're taking him as soon as we can. And with Fields, I, I just think that, yeah, you're right. There is so much there. And there's so much film on him of two years of starting in, in the Big Ten, And he lost two games as a story. He's 20 and two as a starter. And as I said, in that national semifinal game against Clemson, he threw for six touchdowns and dominated them after hurting his ribs. Like he went out there and everyone's like, you got to be tough if you're in the NFL. And he did that, you know, he did exactly what you want him to do. And for some reason they discounted him. And so you're right. I don't get it. I love the kid. Uh, He accounted for like 78 touchdowns at Ohio state in two years. I mean, I, I just, I don't, I didn't get it. And and yeah, the Chicago bears are the big benefactor of that. And uh, they, they made a bold move. I mean, the giants were able to get a, a first rounder next year and next year's draft is way deeper, but Chicago, if you get your quarterback, who cares about next year's first round pick, you really don't get him in there, start him right away. And you went from having Andy Dalton and no succession plan to Justin Fields as your franchise quarterback, a guy who knows the Midwest has played there, has dominated there, has fans from all over. Uh, it's, it, it's a good day to be a Chicago bears fan. And you haven't been able to say that in a long time.
1: Yeah, it was, it was incredible to watch the weekend. This is the first weekend that bears fans have had a better uh, go of it than Packers fans and feel better about the future of their franchise in forever. And, and, I will even say this as a lions fan. I don't want to like, let's not get crazy here, but the lions had a much better weekend than the, than the Packers. And that I think everybody in that, in that that division, that's a sign things didn't go well. So last thought on this, you said that maybe Wilson was the number two pick because people saw the success of Aaron Rodgers and they want to replicate that. That might comport with something that I've been thinking about how, My comp for Fields is Russell Wilson, only larger. Like, I I think he's that type of gritty, tough guy. And I think that it's really cool that he went to Chicago to play outside, to play in the cold, because I could see him being that type of, like, gutty guy. I'm not expecting his numbers to be insane in the NFL. I kind of see him as just like this winner, like this Wilson guy. Earlier in Wilson's career, now he's been in the situation of running games where he puts in up these video game numbers. But because Wilson is slightly removed from the NFL's upper echelon of quarterbacks because the team hasn't had as much success, I wonder if Fields goes to... Uh, off the years where Wilson is, is leading his team to the Super Bowl. And I wonder if, it, if that plays a big part of who is the dominant quarterback and who fits those vibes, right? I think you could make the argument Trey Lance went number three because people saw shades of Patrick Mahomes in him.
2: For sure. And, and I think that it, it definitely has something to do with I mean, Patrick Mahomes was this untapped talent. He sat out his first year. And a lot of people question that draft pick because they moved into that spot to get him. And it's like, Whoa, like Patrick Mahomes, he was at Texas tech and he was basically just dropping back and winging the ball. He, he there was no technical side of it. He wasn't, he wasn't making reads. He wasn't doing this. And, and you watch Patrick Mahomes in college and you're like, Oh yeah, there's the arm, but you're not getting the thing that Mahomes has now where he extends plays and, and kind of diagnoses, knows exactly where his receivers are going to go. That came from working with Andy Reid, and but they saw the arm talent, the size, the ability to run the ball, to extend plays in Trey Lance. And they said, we got to get that. And they went out and got it. And I, I do think you're right. It's, it has to do with who's successful, not only numbers-wise, but also who can carry a team and who can take a team. And right now, you're right, Russell Wilson – not doing it as much in Seattle. They've been, you know, a one and done playoff team for a while. They, they feel like they're at the end of the year. They get there and you're like, oh, yeah, the Seahawks are in the playoffs. But they're not the team you think about all year as a favorite. Now, who's dominant? Kansas City Chiefs. The Again, the Packers have been great. Uh, Brady with the Bucs. And you feel like with that one, it's almost like LeBron James. It's just an old centerpiece guy. And you put a bunch of guys around him and, and you, you make a run. But nobody's trying to find the next Tom Brady because that's not where the NFL is going. So I, 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 I do think you're right there. It's more about a dynamic quarterback who can do things. And, and you're focused on, again, the guys who were successful. And Trey Lance, certainly that a Patrick Mahomes comparison has a lot to do with why Trey Lance went number three and why the 49ers were willing to give up so much to go up and get him because they think they got the next guy that can be that.
1: All right, Ryan Phillips, thanks so much. This weekend was awesome. It felt like our biggest athletes were at the forefront of the biggest storylines there was a lot of drama just a great classic to me it kind of felt like a weekend from 10 years ago uh and it really it was really fun to see all these storylines so much to talk about thanks for joining me man always buddy always anytime